Good morning to each one of you. Greetings in Jesus' name. Again, I marvel at how God, by His Spirit, ties some of these things together. Daryl shared from Revelation about trials, and this morning's message title is Why God? And I know that you know that if you have lived any length of time in this life, you're going to have experienced some difficult times. Sometimes it's no, you're not doing that. Sometimes it is, I'm sorry, sometimes it is wait. Sometimes it's traumatic, calamity. And difficult things do come our way and we wonder Why? Why, God? Why would God allow this to happen? And I had to, as I was thinking about why, God, I just wanted to reflect just a little bit on maybe even some people here. And maybe you all won't recognize all of these, but some of you will. Why did we have that fire? Why did we lose our baby? Why was a close family member killed in an accident? Why did our son die from cancer? Why did our granddaughter get so sick? And you know, most of you all will recognize some of those. They're personal experiences. And so the question almost always comes, why? Why would a holy and merciful God allow children in this world, to suffer at the hands of evil men and women? Why does a just God allow innocent people to suffer in times of war or famine or something like that? Why does God the Father, Creator, permit sickness and disease And we often ask, why God? But the answers to these questions lie in the mind and the plan and the Word of God. We can go to God's Word and we can understand His mindset and maybe even the plan as we avail our mind to the mind of God. And as we, the created, we need to come to the place where we can see ourselves like God sees us, not what we think God ought to be. We are needy creatures. One character in the Bible that we often refer to when we think of troubles coming our way is Job. And so I'd like for you to turn there with me. When we first discover him, Job, in the book there of Job, He's a person that we look at and think in the onset, this guy has a golden horseshoe tied around his neck. Whatever he touches turns to gold. Whatever he does prospers. If he falls into a mud hole, he comes out smelling like a rose. But then as we go just a little bit further, we see that it wasn't, it wasn't always so for the rest of Job's life. Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of Uz 
whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep. Now that's a big farmer. 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses in a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all men of the East. And we would look at him as a successful farmer. We would look at him as a successful father. We would look at his wife as being fruitful. And we would look at his life, or even someone like him today, and the seeming ease and wealth and It would evoke a tinge of green in each one of us. And I say that for myself. You know, you see people that are very successful and and you see things that seemingly are going in such a really good way and you think, man, I wish wish it was like that for me. A tinge of green. But Job was not a passive person. Job was not content just to let things happen. He was proactive. He even in petitioning for his children after they were grown and gone from home, as it seems, as we read here in verse 4, it says, And his sons went and feasted in their houses. And it would appear to me that these men, these, these sons of Job, had already grown, got their own houses, had started their lives. And I don't know all that. It doesn't really say that. I'm thinking in my mind as an imagination. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to come and eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent, this is where Job was being proactive, Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, proactively, Job did continually. And I'm assuming also, and again, this is my imagination, I'm assuming that everyone his day was probably referring to their birthday, and I don't know that. Everyone his day, referring to their birthday, and they were having maybe a birthday supper. But as we go on, as we go further in life, we recognize that Job's life was not just a bed of roses, but there were things to come that he had no idea would come his way. And as I mentioned some of these things early on here in, in, in the sermon, we would have no idea that a fire may come, that we would lose a close family member, that our son would die from cancer, or our granddaughter would get so sick. And we have no idea what is coming down the road for each one of us, any of us. But in Job 1 verse 6 it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered and said, answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in earth and walking up and down in it. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear thee for naught? Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he had on every side? Thou hast blessed the works of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth your hand. Put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now in this last section of verses, I see the sovereignty of God. Satan, along with others, came to present themselves before God. Satan had to be granted permission. And as we view the fall of man, we see mankind having free choice. And we see Adam failing, disobeying God and sinning. And now we have the curse of sin to deal with in all of humanity, each one of us. And Satan is our tempter. Satan is the one that says, try this, look at this, think about this, talk about this. Was it God's plan for Adam to fail? Is it God's plan for you, any one of us, to fail? No. God wanted fellowship with a perfect being that he created in Adam. Him himself being perfect. But in that perfect being, he allowed choice. He allowed us to choose whether we would fellowship with him or we would choose to disobey and follow after other vices. And no matter how we view Life, no matter how we view eternity, God, Satan, anything that happens that comes our way, no matter how we view it, we have to come back to the fact that God is ultimately in charge of everything, everything. Isaiah 40 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, There is no searching of his understanding. He knows everything. He created everything. He gives permission for everything. But is it his desire that we fail? No. It is his desire that we continue to be successful physically, spiritually, but mostly spiritually. We can say, I don't believe what God wrote. We can say, I know that God doesn't care. And we can say all manner of things, but God is sovereign. And we are part of his created sovereign plan. And he gives us the opportunity to choose, will I or will I not follow him? And we see through some of these verses that Satan is a subordinate of God. 
The battle we know is already won through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through him ascending and sitting at their standing at the right hand of God the Father. And the Bible clearly states in the Old and the New Testament that every knee will bow. Isaiah 45 verse 23 says, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. In Philippians 2 verse 10, it's repeated again, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And we recognize through Scripture, through the teaching of the Word, that we can humbly bow before our mighty God and Creator today, now, and the day of salvation, or we will be made to bow later and be condemned. It's a simple choice. It's not just human reasoning. It's not just thinking my path and and making that work. We know that human reasoning, according to what Scripture says, will ultimately lead us away from God. And we can see that in the society that we live in. When we take, when we look at the society that we live in, and we see how God has been taken out of school, out of society, out of home, out of everywhere, we see the turn of event. Romans 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be, because it's so far from what God is in the mind of His. True or false question? I want you to listen to this. True or false question? We create most of our troubles. True? False. How many of y'all would feel that we create most of our troubles? How many of y'all feel that we do not create most of our troubles? And again, that may be your perspective. Sometimes calamity does come. Sometimes it comes unexpected, unprovoked, un... I'm not sure for the right word. Un... uh, I have to think about it a minute. But sometimes calamity comes without something that we have done. But most times things happen because of choices we make. For instance, if you don't put oil in your vehicle, it will eventually quit running. Choice. Circumstance. Um, outcome. It's going to eventually quit. If you don't weed your garden, you are going to get very little produce. You may get some. We got a weedy garden because of the rain this year. <laughs> Might be some other reasons too. But. but you know, those tomato plants that we planted a long time ago, that Paul planted, I'm sorry. I need to clarify that one. 
She planted those tomato plants, but we have had a tremendous amount of rain. And our garden lays low, and we have not been able to till it very much at all. And because of that excessive moisture, those tomato plants have not grown hardly at all. And some other things have gone the same way. If you don't mow your yard, it's going to eventually turn into a jungle. You look at an unkept field, and we drove by a field for many years, for several years when we lived over at uh, uh, Centerville, and there was a field that they put in the CREP program. It was down by the stream where they planted trees, fenced it off, and let it grow up. And you know what? It did not take long until that was a forest, a jungle, lots of trees and grown-up grass and thistles and weeds and everything else. But the same is true about godliness and faithfulness. And Job was a righteous man. Even in the face of terrible calamity that I don't think that he really set himself up for by choice, he remained faithful to God. And even though Satan used every tactic in the book to get him, he remained faithful. And we've only read a small portion of this book of Job. But Job lost everything possible that a man would have to lose. And we look at his beginning and we think, that guy was loaded. That guy was so blessed. That guy was... But then we look at the calamity that came his way. And then we see his three friends. And they come and they say, Job, it's because of your sin. It's because of this. It's because of that. It's because of everything else. Verse 13, we see where he started to lose everything. It says, And there was a day when his sons and his daughter were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. There's three servants left so far. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are all dead, and I... Only four am escaped alone to tell thee. He lost all of his livestock. It says in verse 3 how much livestock he had. And his substance was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen. That's 1,000 oxen and 500 she-asses. That is a lot of livestock. 
And he lost it in a small amount of time. He lost all of his children, not just the one that I spoke of earlier in the message. But even that one is a tremendous loss for any one of us. That one is a tremendous loss. And yet he lost ten. Seven boys, three girls, at the puff of a mighty wind. I know that many of you all remember July of 2007. That year was the first year that our family went to Lake Moomaw. We set up our camper, spent the night, and the next morning we got a visitor asking for Mr. Showalter. It was an officer delivering a message that there had been a family tragedy at home. We were scared. We were scared to make that phone call. But we finally did. And found out that Scott and Phyllis, Shana and Christina, Showalter and Amos Stalsus had died in that farming accident just a couple of miles from our house. They were neighbors. They were good friends. They were our cousins. Our children rode to school with them. We owned a school van together. They played together. Franklin and Wyatt had just struck up... Excuse me. A relationship with Amos Stalsus about two weeks before that. And they were milking with him Friday and Saturday before that. Before that accident. Had we been home, they may have been there. It was summertime. Our children were out of school. We mourned the loss. And we learned to cope. Trusting God and realizing that life is but a vapor. The old must die and the young sometimes die. But all will eventually pass from this body of clay into eternity. And we will bow now or we will bow later. Because it says every knee shall bow. But as we look at the life of Job. When all of this happened, Job arose in verse 20, and he rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. He lost Almost all of his servants, I counted four that were left. I'm sure there were many more that were not around in some of those cases. He lost his health. It says in Job 2, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, He is in thine hand, but save his life 
So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the soles of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Job had calamity come upon him at such an increased, such a, an extreme amount that we can't fathom. We see the pain that we have, and they're, they're large to us. And yet in comparison, how large are they? He lost his livestock. He lost his health. He lost the support of his wife. It says in Job 2 verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, and I know that she was suffering as well. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. And as we read further on in the book of Job, he lost his emotional health. He was depressed to the point of wishing that he, would ne- he were never born. He wished he was dead. It says in Job 3, verse 1, After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day, and Job spoke and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it is said, There is a man-child conceived. Had he not been born, he would not have suffered. Had he not been born, he would have been ushered into the presence of a holy, eternal God to forever be with him. And he would not have had to suffer in this life, this body of clay, in the flesh. So he became depressed, despondent. He lost the support of his friends. And he was accused of sins which he had not committed. And we read about that in verse, chapter 2, verse 11 and 13. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came, everyone from his own place, So they sat, in verse 13, So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him. For they saw his grief was very great. But later on, they accused Job of this and that and everything else. And in all that, Job sinned not. You may say, and I do as well, well, he didn't face what I faced. That's right. That's probably exactly right. That may be true. Because times are different. Things are different. But the fact of the matter is we still live in this body of clay. We still face the temptations from Satan. We still know that he wants to claim our soul to hell in hell with him. But we also know that God, our Creator, wants us to be forever with Him. And it's a choice that we make. God has given us an extreme example of suffering. In this man of Job, physical, emotional, all other kinds of suffering, He faced to help us see 
that even in spite of the difficulties we have, they are small in comparison to maybe someone else. No matter what we face, no matter what the test, no matter what the calamity that may come our way, God has our best interest in mind. You personally. He knows you. He, he wants you to follow faithfully, to be faithful. And even though we may face calamity or false accusation or many other things, God has our best interest in mind. He wants us to spend that eternity with Him forever, being perfected in Jesus Christ through His shed blood. He wants us to be faithful and to pass on that faithfulness to the coming generation. But we must have it to pass it. And how do we get it? We ask of God. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. But it also says in Psalm, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And that's where we as human beings need to come. We will bow, whether we bow now voluntarily and being freed from the burden of sin and having the peace of God filling our being, or we will bow to Jesus in condemnation in the end. So my challenge, my encouragement to each one of you is that we be faithful in spite of what may come our way for the glory of God and for those that follow after. God bless you.